throughout the Gospels, over and over again, we see Jesus casting out demons. Just think of what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes upon a man in a synagogue, oppressed, possessed by a demon. What does Jesus do? He casts out the demon. Then in Luke chapter 8, there's a man so oppressed by demons that he's living out amongst the tombs, screaming naked. And what does Jesus do? He casts out a legion of demons who'd been possessing him. In Luke 9, there's a father that Jesus meets with a young boy. And this young boy is, is oppressed by a demon who's making him fall into a fire to burn him or into lakes to drown him. And what does Jesus do? He casts out the demon. And in Luke chapter 13, heartbreaking story, Jesus meets a woman who for 18 years had been bent over double, like bent over double by a demon. And what does Jesus do? He casts out the demon. Not only are there individual stories of Jesus casting demons out of people, but there's also statements in the Gospels which tell us that Jesus casts out demons from many people at one time. Here's some examples. Matthew 8, 16. They brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Don't you love that? Mark 1.34, Mark tells us Jesus cast out many demons. Luke 4.41, and demons came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. So all through the Gospels, we see Jesus casting out many, 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 many demons, and in today's passage now, Jesus is going to tell us what his work of casting out demons means. What does his work of casting out demons demonstrate? What does it teach? That's what Jesus is going to be talking about today in Luke 11, verses 14 through 26. So open that up in your Bibles, your phone, we'll have it up on the screen. Let's dig into this passage. Now the first section is verses 14 through 20, which answer the question, what do we learn from Jesus casting out demons? What do we learn? Jesus tells us in these verses. Start with verse 14. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. Now, the language there sounds like maybe the demon was mute, but the point is that the demon was making this man mute, which meant he couldn't talk. So he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So this man had a demon who was stopping him from being able to talk. I just want us to pause for a second to see if we can get a little bit of a feel of how terrifying and heartbreaking that would have been. I mean, imagine that this morning you woke up, and you got out of bed, and you turn, you know, turn to your spouse, or maybe you went out and saw your kids, or maybe you had a roommate, and you started talking, and you weren't able to talk for the first time, and you knew that it was because of a demon, an evil spirit, more powerful than you, who was keeping you from talking. So think of how terrified you'd be. What, what has happened? What is this? What am I going to do? Think about going to, to work, not being able to talk. That'd be difficult. Going to shop and not being able to talk, that would be hard. 
meeting up with friends, not being able to say anything. I mean, think of how heartbreaking, how horrifying it would be to know that there was a demon in you more powerful than you that was keeping you from speaking. But then, Jesus meets this man. And Jesus commands the demon to leave. And because Jesus has all authority, the demon leaves and instantly this man can talk again. And everybody's shocked because everybody knew, we don't know how long it had been for this man to not be able to talk, but everybody knew this man has a demon, not able to talk. So heartbreaking, but then all of a sudden, here's this man talking. And so as Luke tells us, the people marveled. Everybody is, is amazed at what Jesus has just done. But some of the people there are not very happy about what Jesus has just done. Some of the people are upset. Look at verses 15 and 16. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul. That's just another name for Satan, for the devil. He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. See, no one could deny that Jesus had just worked a miracle. It was right before their eyes. No one could dispute it. But the religious leaders weren't very happy about it. Because they want people to keep following them. They're not happy that the people are all excited about Jesus and all talking about Jesus and all interested in Jesus. They want people not to be following Jesus, but to be following them. And so what do they say? They say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, this demon's gone, but now wait a minute. Don't jump to conclusions here. Not so fast. This is not a good thing. Jesus did not do something good here. He cast this demon out by Satan. Jesus has not just done God's work. He's just done Satan's work. Others were saying, you know, if you really are something, why don't you show us a miracle when Jesus has just shown them a miracle? So this is the kind of rumbling in some of the people in the crowd. And look at how Jesus responds. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. Now that's true, isn't it? I mean, think of a kingdom which is divided in half, and this half is fighting this half, and this half is fighting this half. That kingdom is not going to last very long, right? Or think of a household. This half of the household is fighting this half, and this half is fighting that half. That household is not going to last. And then Jesus applies that principle of division to Satan in verse 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself... How will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by, by Satan. So Jesus' point is very simple here. It makes no sense to say that I'm casting out demons by the devil, Satan. Why would Satan cast out his own demons? Why would the devil cast out his own demons? That's like like an army general purposefully calling airplanes to bomb his own soldiers. That just never happens. That's just foolishness to talk that way. And then Jesus makes another point in verse 19. 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Now, the word sons here probably refers to followers of the Jewish leaders. They're Jewish followers. And so here Jesus is saying, now be consistent. If you say that your followers cast out demons by God's power, why do you say I'm casting out demons by Satan's power? On what possible basis could you say that? How can you justify saying that? There's no reason to say that. And because you're being inconsistent, your followers are going to see that and they're going to judge you for it. So see, Jesus here is showing the utter foolishness of the small part of this crowd who's grumbling and and moaning and groaning about what Jesus has done because they're threatened because they think people are going to start following Jesus instead of them. And Jesus points out the utter foolishness of what they're saying. Satan is casting out his own demons? I mean, think about it. It's impossible. Your followers cast out demons by God's power, but I'm casting out demons by the devil's power. You have no basis for saying that. And so Jesus here is showing very clearly that the only reasonable explanation for what he's just done is that he's done it by God's power. God did this. And then in verse 20, Jesus draws the conclusion. If I just did this by God's power, what does that mean? What does that show? Look at verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Whoa. This is big. Now, the Old Testament uses the phrase, the finger of God, to describe simply God. And so what Jesus is saying is, since I cast out demons by God's power, what that shows you is that the kingdom of God is now here. Now let's, let's try to unpack that so we can get a sense of what an amazing, shocking, thrilling statement that is. Imagine that you were living in, in a, a kingdom of darkness, okay? Pitch black darkness, no light at all. I mean, that'd be really hard, but just imagine that that's the world you lived in. This kingdom of pitch black darkness, just dark. Now, there'd been promises that one day a kingdom of light would come. And oh, you were longing for that. Stumbling, falling, taking the wrong, just so hard when there's just pitch darkness. You're longing, you're praying, you're waiting for this kingdom of light to come, but it's just still pitch darkness. But then imagine that, that one day you, you see this little glimmer, this little glimmer of, I think that's light out there. And it's, it becomes lighter and lighter, and, and all of a sudden it's like this orb that's rising, and we all know it's the sun shining, but the darkness is getting dispelled, and light is coming, and you seeing that, you'd say, the kingdom of light is here. Everything's going to be different now. That's what Jesus is saying. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, since Adam and Eve sinned, because of their sin, God allowed the whole world, every human being, because of all of our sin, to fall under Satan's kingdom's rule and power. God was still in overall sovereign authority over everything, but he allowed the world to come under Satan's kingdom, Satan's rule. So everybody, 
Every single human being is enslaved by Satan, oppressed by Satan. And some are especially tormented by Satan. He has them out in the tombs screaming and naked, and he has them bent over double. He's making them fall into fires. He's not letting them speak. But the whole world, every single human being is under the kingdom of Satan, that kingdom of darkness. But God had promised He would send the Messiah, the Savior, who would bring God's kingdom into the earth and destroy Satan's kingdom. And one day, a man walks into Judea. His name is Jesus. And he meets this man. Jesus meets this man who couldn't talk because of one of Satan's demons, this expression of the kingdom of Satan, of the devil there. And Jesus meets this man who's oppressed by this demon. And what does Jesus do? Come out of him. And the demon flees. And the man is freed. And everybody's, oh, what is this? And then Jesus frees a woman who'd been bent over double by a demon for 18 years and frees a little boy who's being thrown into lakes to drown him and frees many, 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 many people from demons. Demon after demon after demon being freed. And everybody who sees this, just like if you saw light rising, you'd know the kingdom of light is here. When demons are being cast out, you know that the kingdom of God is here. Satan's kingdom is being invaded. Satan's kingdom is being attacked. God's kingdom is here, and God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus is here, setting Satan's captives free. So we're asking the question, what do we learn from Jesus casting out of demons? And Jesus' answer is, what we learn is that the kingdom of God is here. Now, next question. So what does that mean? So the kingdom of God is here. What does that mean then? And Jesus answers that in the next section. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? Look at verses 21 and 22. Very powerful two verses. It, it means a lot of things, but Jesus focuses on one specific aspect here. Verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So Jesus is saying that Satan is a fully armed, strong man, and he's guarding his palace so that no one can steal his possessions. And what are Satan's possessions? Humanity. The men and women who's, who he is holding captive as his slaves. But Jesus is the stronger man. And Jesus has come attacking the strong man, overcoming the strong man, plundering his property. That's what Jesus did. Now think about that. Every one of you here this morning, those of you who are trusting Jesus Christ right now, you used to be Satan's property, Satan's plunder, Satan's captives. You were there in those palace dungeons. But Jesus Christ set you free from Satan's kingdom. 
and brought you into God's kingdom. That's why you're trusting Jesus. And those of you who are here this morning not yet trusting Jesus, that can happen to you today. Now think about how different Jesus' picture of the world is from how many people think about the world. He's talking about a strong man, and he's the stronger man, and there's this war going on and plundering. But think about how different Jesus' description of the world is from how many describe the world. Many people, most people, think that the world is all about career, jobs, money, retirement. Or the world is all about friends and entertainment and vacations. Or the world is all about politics, government, elections. Right? And those things are, are part of the world, but none of those descriptions talk about what is the most important part of the world. None of those descriptions come close. They are missing what is the most significant part of the world. Jesus is telling us in verses 21 and 22 that what is really happening in the world is a war, a spiritual war. A global war for the souls of men, women, children. That's what's really going on in the world. Think about it like this. Everybody you see today who's not trusting Jesus, go to lunch today or driving today in your neighborhood, everyone you see today who is not trusting Jesus is in Satan's palace dungeons, enslaved by Satan, oppressed by Satan, tormented, tortured by Satan. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world. He came into this world which was Satan's kingdom. And what did he announce? The kingdom of God is here. Now, them's fighting words. That's a declaration of war. That's like parachuting into North Korea saying, democracy and freedom are here. Hmm, Okay. The war is going to start, all right? So when Jesus comes into the kingdom of Satan, the world, and announces the kingdom of God is here. Whoa. The war starts. Satan fought back, though, tempting Jesus in the wilderness for 40 years, remember? And Jesus counterattacked back and resisted and overthrew every temptation that Satan brought against him. And then Jesus went throughout Judea proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. Promising forgiveness of sins. Freedom from Satan's power. Calling men and women to repent and turn from their sin and trust him as their treasure. He went throughout Judea freeing captives. And he demonstrated that the kingdom of God is here by healing the sick. Raising people from the dead, casting out demons, calming the storm, turning five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed thousands. So he demonstrated the kingdom. He's setting captives free, and Satan's getting very nervous. So Satan comes up with a plan to destroy Jesus. Satan turns Judas Iscariot's heart so that Judas betrays Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is arrested, beaten, scourged with that horrible Roman 39-lash scourging, and nailed to the cross. 
But remember, Jesus had told his followers, the Son of Man is going to be arrested and betrayed and crucified and after three days rise again. This was all part of Jesus' plan. This was part of God's plan. It cost Jesus horrible suffering, horrifying suffering, the crucifixion, but it did not destroy Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. Did not destroy Jesus, but it did break Satan's power. The plan that Satan thought would destroy Jesus broke his own power and ends up being the destruction of Satan in time. And now, after Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, he's calling all of his followers to join him in plundering Satan's property. He calls us to join him and going out, sharing the good news of Jesus, speaking of forgiveness of sins, of Jesus' death, paying for sins, breaking the power of sin. People can be freed from Satan's power, calling men, women, young people to turn from whatever they used to trust to satisfy them and see that Jesus Christ is their all-satisfying treasure who will forgive them and who will free them. So Jesus is calling all of us to join him in plundering Satan's palace dungeons. So we're asking the question, so what does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? What, what we learn from Jesus casting out demons is that the kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? And Jesus' answer is it means war. It's war. Not a war fought with bombs, guns, tanks, bullets. A war fought with love and words of the gospel and tears, and prayer, and suffering. That's the war. We are living in wartime. Not peacetime. It's war. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. Powerful quote. He says, Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That's reality, folks. That's what's going on. The rightful king has landed, broken Satan's power, calling us to form an underground army of love and suffering and tears and prayer and gospel witness. That's what it means that there's a kingdom of God here now. See, there's a war going on in the world, and this war is going on right now here in this room. It's going on right here. It's a war to free men and women from Satan's power, from the guilt of sin. And this war is being waged in every neighborhood, every workplace, every city, every country. It's war. That's what's happening. Jesus has invaded 
bringing the kingdom of God. And that was a declaration of war. And Jesus wants to take this even deeper and say, so what does that mean for us? And this is shocking what he says next. What does wartime mean for us? Look at what he says in verse 23. This is the the point of verses 21 and 22. The strong man, stronger man. Here's the point then. And let these words just sink in. Not easy words to understand. Shocking words to, to hear. But listen carefully. Jesus says, therefore, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Shocking. Let's just read that again. I want to make sure we hear every one of those words. Whoever is not with me, plundering Satan's property, seeking to reach the lost, sharing the good news of the gospel, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me, whoever is not out in the fields, sowing the seed and and gathering the crops, reaching people for the gospel. Whoever does not gather with me is scattering the gospel. So he's saying you're either in or you're out. There's no neutrality here. If you aren't with Jesus, focusing your life on plundering Satan's property, sharing the gospel, reaching out to the lost, if you aren't with Jesus in that way, then you are against Jesus. Mm. If you're not out in the field sowing the seed and gathering the harvest, then you are scattering the harvest, destroying the harvest. Now why? Those are hard words, Jesus. Why? Help us understand. See if this helps you. Think of your neighborhood where you live. Now, if you just live your life never getting to know your neighbors, never sharing the good news of Jesus with anyone, your life is going to be a witness of something. But what is your life bearing witness to? Your life is bearing witness to the fact that everything's fine. There's no Jesus. There's no sin to be concerned about. There's no need for forgiveness. There's no heaven. There's no hell. That's what your life is witnessing to. Do you see that? How about your workplace? If you just show up, do your job, maybe even do it really honestly, And like really responsibly, and you're really a nice woman, a nice man. But if you never reach out to people and get to know them and say, tell me about your spiritual background. Tell me about this religion. How does that work for you? Then let me me share my background with you about Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that you come to know Jesus. If you you never let people know that that's what you think, then you're bearing witness to them that, that none of that is true. You're bearing witness to them that there's no need for salvation. There's no sin to be forgiven. There's no all-satisfying joy in Jesus. You're bearing witness to lies. You're against Jesus, if that's what you're doing. This is a deeply convicting verse. 
I've been really moved by it this week. I feel like God's doing something. He's stirring something in me. And I, I pray that maybe this is something that he's stirring in, in many of us. We are either in or we are out. We're either for him, we're part of the underground, sabotage movement, or we're not. Church, I don't see any other way to take this verse. This is Jesus. No one loves us more than Jesus. And he's saying these words with love in his heart for you. He's saying, listen, this is what is at stake. This is life. This is reality. Wake up. Wake up. Join the army. Let's do this thing. That's what Jesus is saying. But now there's one more point Jesus wants to make. Verses 24 to 26, he answers the question, what danger do delivered people face? There's a danger that people who have been delivered from demons face, and this will be very important for us, part of this army, to understand. What danger do they face? Verse 20. For Jesus is talking here about somebody who's had a demon cast out of them. What danger do they face? Verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. So when Jesus casts a demon out of someone, that demon is going to go looking for somebody else to make his home. But he passes through waterless places, which I think probably means desert places, like around here, Leewood Desert. Okay, nobody's living out here. I'm not going to find a home out here. I'm going to go back and check out the person I just left, see what's going on there. That's what the demon says. And then verse 25. And when it comes back to the person, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. They're worse off with these eight demons than when they just had one. So what's going on here? When the demon comes back, finds this house swept and in order. But the problem is that this swept and orderly house is empty. Hello? Anybody home? It's empty. Because this person hasn't responded to the good news of Jesus. They had a demon cast out of them, but they never took seriously this message that they've sinned against a holy and righteous God. They never taken seriously the message that they need a Savior. They can't earn their forgiveness from God. They need a Savior. They need a Savior to forgive them. They need a Savior to free them. They need a treasure to satisfy them. They never take that message seriously. They never turn from what they used to trust and trust Jesus as their treasure. And so they're never filled and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're empty. They never get saved, in other words. And the demon comes back and says, this is better than when I first was here. It's all cleaned up. Buddies, come on! Eight demons then. This is the danger that delivered people face. 
And this applies to more than just people who've been delivered from demons. I mean, somebody can be delivered from a demon. Somebody can be healed from a sickness and experience this. Somebody can experience some level of comfort from Jesus, but short of really pursuing the gospel and trusting him as their savior. Somebody can have a prayer answered and say, oh, this Jesus, he's kind of cool. He answers prayer. But people can have those things happen and think that's it. That's what it's all about. So they don't really hear the gospel. They don't really take in the gospel. They don't see that they need a savior, that they're guilty, that they're oppressed. They don't put their trust in Jesus and they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. That's a danger. And then their last state is worse than their first. Okay. So here's this whole teaching that Jesus has given about demons, casting out of demons, warfare. So church, what does this mean for us? And I try to break it down into four takeaways. And I hope you'll take each of these really seriously. Pray about them now and pray about them through this week. Four takeaways. First, understand that we are living in wartime. It's war. So be alert. Wake up. Be bold. Be wise, but be bold. Eternity is at stake. There's captives that need to be freed. We are surrounded by captives who need to be freed. Be sold out for Jesus. Join the sabotage army. We're either in or out. Okay? Secondly, understand that we are either gathering with Jesus or working against Jesus. And so just, here's what I've done. Think about your last month. Does your last month show that you're gathering with Jesus? Are you harvesting with Jesus? What have you done this last month? Any evidence of which side you're on? What have you been bearing witness to toward your neighbors or your work associates or your friends? Now, here's the good news. If you need help in this, which we all do, I do, I need help in this. We all need help in this. Here's the good news. Jesus is standing before you with his arms wide open. I will help you. Whatever you need, I will help you. And so maybe get a little desperate about this. Jesus, I need help in this. I'm so timid. I'm so nervous. I just get so preoccupied with what I'm doing, my own life. Help me break out of this. Show me what I can do. Change my heart. He will totally answer that prayer. But go after him for these things. Remember, he said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Best news in the world. He will do this if we come to him and say help. So don't, please don't settle for working against Jesus. Gather with Jesus. Work with Jesus. And third, be sure that you are really turning to Christ, trusting him and being filled with his spirit. Don't settle for having a prayer answered, meeting some nice people at church, 
I feel so good when I go to the services. Don't settle for that. You need to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your heart-satisfying treasure. You need to be filled with his presence, the Spirit of Jesus. He will fill you. Are you filled with the Spirit of Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus as your Lord, Savior, and treasure? Be sure that you are really turning to Christ. And then fourth, be sure that you help other people really turn to Christ. Trusting Him and being filled with His Spirit. When you lead people to faith, make sure that they really understand their sin. They've sinned against a holy, righteous God, and they rightly face his judgment forever. And you can't do anything about it yourself, but Jesus came and he died. He paid for your sins. As you trust him, he will completely forgive you and set you free and start you on a road and he'll fill your heart. Let's help people really come to know the Lord. Not just having houses that are swept and clean and in order, but houses that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, they will be saved forever. And their last state forever will be better than their first. So church, the king has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's time to do some plundering. Let's, Grace Church here in Abu Dhabi, plunder Satan's property for the glory of our King. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. God, I pray that you would take these words from your Holy Son, Jesus, and just burn them into our hearts right now, every one of us. Thank you that you can do all of these things that you're talking about here. You can work them into our hearts. So, Lord, we just surrender our lives to you. We say, Jesus, please help us, change us, free us, save us. Whatever we need, Lord, come and do it. Pour it out upon us here. As we're gathered together this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.